We're going to be in the book of James, and so if you want to find that, you can go ahead and turn there, book of James chapter 4. And um, it, helps, it helps to have messages um, that I've preached in the past, and um, a few years worth, and I can kind of go through some of those, and, and when, it's, when it's necessary, every now and then that just happens, and um, to, have, to have, a, have to be able to pull something up. And so um, it's a, a message, though, that I believe will be a help to you. It comes from the book of James. It was done as a study. Um, just a verse-by-verse study, and um, but I'm looking forward to sharing this, going through uh, what it says here, because um, without without the context of it all, um, you'll, what we'll see is is just a, it's kind of a powerful, an, an interestingly powerful passage in the way that it's just kind of so forward, so so in your face, if I can say it that way. And uh, but with the context of James one through three, uh, you see a a. A man writing out of his heart of love, a, 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 in a sense, you can say a pastor to his church, and a, a desire to see people grow and to see people step out of the, the ways of the world into a stronger and more um, meaningful Christian walk. And then in James 4, he kind of just gets get, goes, goes past some of this, the, the niceties, and the nice way of saying things. He goes from saying, uh, my brethren, and, and out of love for brethren, uh, about 18 times in the first three chapters, too, you'll see some of the language he uses in these first six verses. And so, with that said, let's go ahead and look at verse number one, and um, we'll read these, we'll pray, ask God to help us and guide us in our time together, and then we'll jump into what the passage says. It says in verse number one here from James 4, For whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain, ye fight and war. Yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth envy? But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. And so we're going to take a look there at those mainly vo- verses 4, 5, and 6. And, um, but the context there, the verse 3 verses, kind of helps us to understand verse 4 better. But with that said, let's pray, and we'll jump right into it. Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity it is to um, just be together um, in your house, to worship you, um, Lord, in, in prayer and song. Um, and now, Lord, from, from your word. And I pray that our hearts would be in worship of you as we um, read these passages, or read these scriptures here, look at the passages of, of um, Lord, your word, and have them apply to our hearts. Um, God, I pray that you would have your way in each one of our lives. May your Holy Spirit work um, in a way that I know that I'm not capable of, but Father, you alone are. May you have your way through me, and with me, and then in each one of us. And it's in Christ's name, Jesus, is that we pray. Amen. When we look at the entirety of Scripture, we see that it's mostly about God. It's, it's God's Word to us. It's another name that we call it. Literally, it's God's Word. It's like a love letter, a message. It's, it's His words that He inspired and gave to um, different men throughout the thousands of years over the time that the Scriptures were written. And it's Him revealing Himself for us. It's about Him, but it's meant for you and I. That, that's who it's meant to. It's for you and me 
to hear it and, and to know more about who he is. And through the history in the Bible, we study about men and women like Noah, Abraham, Rahab, David, Esther, all these different people who lived in times past who, um, whose lives God felt there was a significant truth, a significant aspect to them that he wanted us to know about and see. The elephant in the room, if I could say it that way, of every one of their stories, though, is not how great of individuals that they were, but rather how great God is and how great he is and, and was in their lives. Uh, we would not know any one of those individuals' names if it were not for God, right? I mean, David's a phenomenal person, but we know that it's only because of God, right? I mean, so the, the mighty and, and amazing things that he did, we look back and say, well, yeah, but he did those because God did those works. God did those things, those miracles, um, worked in the hearts of people and, and of his kingdom and of his country, all those things, all because of God at work in this man's life. The whole point of the Bible, from beginning to end, is about God's plan for us. Now, what is that plan? That plan is a redemptive plan. Because we see, and this is actually what Pastor Will's been talking about for the last few weeks, we see from the very beginning of Scripture, all the way in the beginning in Genesis chapter only 3, that man sinned, separating himself from God. They were created, and then they sinned. I mean, that's, that's basically as much as we know about those early years, those early the year, years of, of history, those, those days of their lives. They turned their backs on God, and so God then prepares a way for them to be restored back to Him. And that's the story of Scripture. is God revealing Himself to us and redeeming Himself for us. The life of the Israelites was to reveal the shortcomings of man in obeying the law of God. The church of the New Testament is the gift of God to be followed uh, with the redemption of His saints to heaven and the expulsion of sin forevermore. That's the story there of Scripture. It's a theme of the Bible. God's redemption of mankind because man is a sinner. Mankind, we are sinners. And so though it is about Him, we do get to know some more about us. That's just the nature of it. Uh, we're created in the image of God, and so as God reveals Himself to us, He does so by revealing more of man about, uh, uh, more, revealing more about man to us, right? And you can look at the, for the Bible from a philosophical perspective and find out quite a bit about the nature, the mindset, the character of mankind, all right? It all starts with sin. I mean, that's, that's the number one problem. You look at anything, and it all goes back to that root of sin, that's affecting every one of us and all the issues, all the problems, all the, the, the shortcomings of man and our dealings with one another and our failures in our hearts. All those things all go back to this problem of sin. And so that's why we need God's redemption. That's why we need the Bible, that because it tells us about this. That's why we need God is because God is what's going to save us from ourselves, save us from our, um, from our sin. But so we look at Scripture and we see and we find out so much then about, about ourselves as we find out more of God. What we see in Scripture then about ourselves is hardly a rosy picture. Of course, we know the obvious, that we need to be redeemed. I mean, we've been left, uh, we, we've left God. That's the obvious problem. The Bible says of the, the people in Noah's day that their hearts were only evil continually. Sin ran rampant for the, the thousand or so years that it was up to Noah. 
left men just doing whatever it felt right in their eyes, whatever they thought was, was, was right for them, whatever selfish motive or thought came into their hearts, that's what they acted upon. It was just mankind left to himself, um, um, brought themselves to the evils of Noah's day. Jeremiah says of, of mankind that their righteousness, the good things, those, those sacred acts, were only as filthy rags. The Bible of these characters that I told you about, or, or told you the name of, is full of stories of murder, adultery, rape, lust, envy, pride, hatred, and all other, other like sins. This is just the story of humanity. This is the story of our hearts. It's the way that sin lends us to. It's the way that sin takes us. And so even if you take a person, I said it was a commendable person like David, and, and we know the stories of sin in David's life. And that's true of so many of these individuals back in history that we look at and say, look at the way God used them. And for almost all of them, we can point to things in their life that said, but man, look at that terrible sin. Look at that mistake that they made. Look at that way that they rebelled against God because that's the nature of our hearts. That's the nature of our flesh. And... I would hope that no one in here would deny that or, 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 or seek to argue against that our hearts tend towards sin, that our hearts tend towards unrighteousness. Um, any kind of real, genuine self-examination would see that, would, would, of yourself would see that they are selfish and, and that we seek to please ourselves, that our motives, though sometimes for others, are often as well beneficial to ourselves, that the things that we do are self pleasing. That's just, that's just human nature. That's the nature of sin, the nature of the heart. Now, that's what God seeks to redeem us from. That's what the changed life of Christ is seeking to change us away from. All right, So I'm not condemning all of us in here and, and just saying how terrible and wicked all of us are, but I'm helping all of us, hopefully, just to kind of remind ourselves of how wicked our hearts tend to be. And no matter how righteous or how good or how um, well-intentioned a person is, and, and we know, all of us know people like that, and perhaps others would say that of you, that you are a good person. I would hope so, that people would say that of you. We know in, in, down in our hearts, we know that of our, in and of ourselves that we are sinners. And even if we've been saved by grace, even if God has changed our life, that that sin is still, still rampant, is still active, and is still seeking to turn our flesh, to turn our will away from God and back to man and back to, to, to sin. And that's what we're going to talk about here this evening. Um, when you go through the first three verses, we reveal there that the prayers aren't answered, that we see that the peace is lacking because we think of ourselves more than we think of others. That's basically what verses 1 through 3 get to, and I'm not going to get into those tonight. So it's going to be mostly in verses 4, 5, and 6. And so with that said, we come to end of verse 4, and notice how he starts it. He says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses. These aren't the most innocent of names to throw them around. All right? I don't, I don't think someone who is writing a letter to you would use that kind of language lightly, if at all, right? If someone is writing a letter to you, dear friend, and they go through telling you some wonderful, wonderful things, and then end the letter by saying, yes, you adulterer, let me say something to you. That's a very specific accusation, right? That's a very um, um, specific thing that he is both accusing them of, but then trying to make them understand of, of themselves, all right? Um, we... 
don't just gloss over those words. Don't just look at those and, and kind of miss exactly what he's saying. He says, I mean, it's especially confounding because he writes, my brethren, as I said, it's an endearing term. He has, he's writing out of love for his family, a church family. But he's greeted, he's greeting, or he, um, in chapter 4, I'm sorry, he's greeted here with accusations of cheating and of debauchery. I mean, that's basically what he's meaning here by adulterers and adulteresses. And so what's James' point here? Why, is he, why does he write this? What is he getting at? I don't know if we've ever paused to think about that and take a second to think, yeah, wait, he just called the readers of this letter adulterers or adulteresses, uh, whatever shoe fits. And he says, Know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And notice the phraseology. He says, the friendship of the world is enmity. The friendship. Not a friendship, but the friendship of the world is enmity with God. If I could say it this way, and, 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 and I apologize if this, if this doesn't sound quite right, but when the world comes on to you, right, is tempting you, is coming back to you, and is tempting you with the sin that you, have, that you have been forgiven from and hopefully have changed your mindset toward. It creates a strife, is what this verse is telling us, in our relationship with God. So let me pause and, and explain this before we go on. God looks at His redeeming um, um, action that He performed to us as the beginning of a relationship. He restored us back into that fellowship with Him, into that friendship that He now shares with everyone who's called upon His name and has asked forgiveness for their sins, who has become a Christian, who knows that their sins are forgiven, they're on their way to heaven. That has begun then a friendship with Almighty God. That's what God wants for every one of us. He wants to have that friendship back. Remember, go all the way back to Adam and Eve. They enjoyed a friendship with God way back in the Garden of Eden. That's what they had with him. It says that they walked in the garden with God. And he talked with them there in the garden. Sin broke that. Sin, well, <laughs> I can't say it for Adam and Eve. They weren't going back to but for, for mankind. That was an adulterous relationship to go back to sin after we've been redeemed from God. Or I'm sorry, redeemed to God. That's how God looks at the relationship that we share to Him, is that now our relationship is restored. And so that must mean then that the prior relationship that we had is how God looks at us and our sin as a prior relationship, as something that we once shared with sin. And it was so great, it was going to take us right to hell. All right, we shared this relationship with sin. We met Jesus and said, that sounds so much better. God says, I love you, you will come to me. Because of the cross, I died for you. And when we accept Christ, we say, yes, God, I choose you. And we break off that relationship. We break it off. That's, 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 the, that's Christianity 101. All right, that's the basics of the Christian life is to break off from the sin all right, that is seeking to ruin us. To enjoy a better relationship with God, to enjoy a real relationship, to enjoy a fulfilling relationship, to enjoy the joy of real relationship. That's what God wants for all of us. And here James writes, 
And I don't think this is like the Paul in the Corinthian letter where he has known sin that he is calling out and dealing with all the issues that were found in that church of, of the things that were going on where he's naming names and calling out people and their specific sins. I don't think that's what James is dealing with here, but rather what James is saying is that, hey, I recognize that as Christians, we still have the temptation to go back to that sin. And when we go back to sin, what are we then? We're an adulterer. We have a relationship with God. Why are we going back and enjoying and, and, and taking pleasure in uh, the, the ex-girlfriend, if I can say it that way, of sin? I would hope that not one of us in here would have the temptation to do that, to go and to cheat on a spouse, to cheat on a wife. That's a, that's a terrible thing. That's sin. But here he's saying, yeah, to go back and to sin is to do that to Almighty God. I enjoy so much the relationship that I share with my wife. She's not even able to be here tonight, and I'm still saying that, all right? She's home, she's home with a couple of sick kids. I love my wife, and I love the relationship that I have with her. Likewise, God enjoys his relationship with us. I don't want to cheat on my wife and ruin that relationship with her. And God says, why would you cheat on me and go back and enjoy the previous friendship that you shared with the world? They say, as Christians, sometimes we get into the mindset that, oh, this is the world or this thing isn't so bad. And we look at sin and we excuse it and make reason for it and justify it and allow it for all sorts of reasons. But see, we have God now living in our heart, and we have now that, that conscience, if I could say it that way, of God, the Holy Spirit of God convicting us of that. And so we know. We know. This is a, as, 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 just as we know when we've gone too far in a relationship with another woman or a woman with a man. We know that, okay, I, I, I've stepped over bounds. My wife would not like to know that, that I've done that, whatever it is. We know because God convicts us of it. And when that sin comes into our life, God says, no, I'm going to tell you what that truly is. You can't excuse that. You can't just allow that. You can't just say, well, you don't understand. No, we share a wonderful thing with God. We can't allow that to creep in, to step in. And this verse, this letter we have to understand it was not written to the outside world. This was not a condemnation of sin in general, of the sinner. All right, James can't condemn the sinner. He had no right to do so. What he's writing to is to Christians. He's writing to believers. He's writing to the house of God. He's writing to a church. And that is who he makes these accusations to. That's who he's using this strong language on. And just as it would be a sin for us to cheat, so likewise is it when we go into sin than to cheat on God. Um, When we speak of sin, when we speak of evil, I'm sorry, I'm going to jump around here a little bit. They really, these things, they exist, right? And, and we know we are, we're very well aware of sin. We are well of its, of its presence, of its power. And these, this evil, this, this wickedness that exists in a vacuum. 
And when we don't know God, that's what it's filled with. It's that vacuum is, is, is no longer a vacuum, it's filled. It's, it, that empty space is filled up with sin and evil and wickedness. Those are the things that take over the heart of a person. But there's still an emptiness to that. There's not, there's not a fulfillment in that. And God naturally created us with a desire for Him. A, uh, somebody has said a hole that can only be filled by the perfect puzzle piece of Jesus. Right? And so we have that, that emptiness or something lacking. And so our hearts are naturally drawn to God's love and to the forgiveness of sin, to Jesus Christ. And that's what makes sharing the gospel nice, is that when you're going to somebody, you know, that, that, that there's an inclination to that because there's an emptiness. And unless they've, just, uh, unless they've, 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 they've heard it and been abused and, 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 and have rejected it, there's a natural desire that God has put in every person for His love. And as Christians, it's our, it's our duty, it's our job just to connect him to that, to that plug, to find where it is and what it is that they're missing, who it is that they're lacking, and point them or, and, and guide them to that relationship with Christ. And so in, the, in this vacuum of which God was removed, we are waiting for the day that sin will be forever destroyed and then that God's goodness will triumph forevermore. And that's really the, 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 the issue that's created there. In Genesis 13, we see the story of Lot. Lot was the nephew of the patriarch Adam. It says of Lot that he traveled east with Abraham. When Abraham, when he was called um, just Abram, traveled east from Ur, and he went to the, the land there that, that they ended up living, there in the Palestine region. He says that as they traveled, their herds grew large. They decided to part ways, and Abraham gave Lot the choice of the lands. Which way would he choose? And I mean, if you know the story that Lot, he looked over the land, and he chose to live in the direction of the city of Sodom. He pointed his tent towards that way. Whatever reason it was that he chose, perhaps he had good financial or economic reason to choose that, but he pointed his tent, and he chose the direction of Sodom, close to his, the land closest to there. Perhaps he saw the benefits of being near the large city, etc. At first, he was camped only in the direction of Sodom. But then as the story goes on, we find that he moves nearer to Sodom and then eventually he moves into Sodom and even becomes a leader, a political leader there in this city. In Genesis 14, Sodom is attacked by invading armies. Abraham has to perform a rescue to free Lot and his family from their captors. And so rather than at that point rejecting the wickedness and having an easy reason to leave, right? It's an easy reason to say, okay, this place was wicked, this was bad for my family, it says that Sodom, upon being rescued from the, the, the invaders, decides to move back into it, embracing, accepting, and tolerating the sin that was around them. We go to Genesis 19. It says two angels, they visit Lot in Sodom. They take it in the form of men. And the city was so wicked that then when they are welcomed as guests into Lot's home, the men of the city, the Bible tells us, came to him and were upset that Lot wasn't making them available to the, for their wicked activities that these men, they wanted to perform with these two guests. It says, do not sow wickedly. Lot recognized the sin. Do not sow wickedly. The story goes on from there, delving even into worse sin and wickedness. And I wonder at that moment that as God was literally rescuing Lot from the coming judgments, if it flashed before Lot's eyes how much he had welcomed in it, the advancements of sin and the ways of the world into his and to his family's life. 
You see, he started so innocently. He was just pointed in the direction of it. And perhaps it was just for financial or personal gain. Perhaps he had good economic reason to choose to point his tent in the direction of this wickedness. But before he knew it, that temptation grew and his resistance to the temptation shrunk. And his daughter and his wife were subject to the most despicable activities. Lot was in an interesting place. He had become too worldly to be obedient to the Lord, but his righteousness was too much for the world. One pastor said, he said this, Some of the most miserable people are those who have too much of the Lord to be comfortable in the world, but too much of the world to be comfortable with the Lord. And see, that's, that's the temptation, not that, but the temptation of our hearts as Christians is to see all of this going on and say, yeah, that's not so bad, or that's okay, or I'm okay with that, or I'm going to go ahead and be a part of this. Now, we want to keep our Christian values, we want to keep our relationships maybe, we want to keep our friendships and, and, and the standards and, the, and, the, and the, the, the morals that come with the Christian worldview. But then we begin to see the enjoyments and the pleasures of all the sin and, and of just of the world and of our environment that we're in, the, the friendships and, the, and all of it that comes with it in the world side. And we begin to justify moving from this to this, but then trying to do this to this. And I can tell you from experience, that's a miserable, miserable person. It doesn't start that way. It starts fine because, hey, this is also new. This is also enjoyable. Or maybe if it, if it, if it, if it has a, 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 a past to it, maybe it's just refreshing and familiar. And you've been, you've been good in church. You've been good with God. And these things have just been enjoyable to you. You've been fine with that. And, 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 but the, the fire's gone. Some of that energy and some of that excitement of following the Lord and serving Him, some of those things just begin to fade a little bit. And these things just kind of, again, the temptation grows, that fire grows brighter, and there's that temptation to go there. And so what happens for a Christian is they go down that road and they begin to adulterate themselves with some of these things. And then they find themselves having difficulty going to church. They find themselves having difficulty doing some of the things that were so familiar or normal before because they know what their heart leans toward. They know what their heart wants. They know what they were just doing Saturday night before they got up for church Sunday morning, or even if they're able to wake up on time Sunday morning because of the activities of Saturday night. You see, in a Christian plays, and they begin just to, to, to allow both. And what ends up happening is they're never quite happy. In fact, they become just downright miserable. Because they know what they're doing is wrong, and so they can't just go jump right in. And right, and we all know, sinners are miserable. They put on the happy face and they put on the, ha the, 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 the gleaming activities, but there's no happiness, there's no real joy in the sin. So they're miserable doing that because they know it's wrong, but then they can't come and enjoy the Lord because they've got, they know there's something wrong there too. They know there's something not right. They know they've been enjoying this. And see, Christians, we allow those sins, whether it's of just of pride, whether it's of envy, 
whether it's just a bitterness, whether it's just debauchery. And we allow these things to affect us, to enter into and have their way. And James comes out and says, you adulterers, you adulteresses, that's what you are. By, by pretending to be in a right relationship with God, you go out and play with the harlots of sin. He says, you've messed up. You're not doing it right. You're, you're ruining the relationship. You're breaking down that trust. You're just, it's, it's, it's destroyed. The solution, of course, is to, is to throw it all away. Get back to God. And that's what then he gets at there in verse number 6. Look at what he says in James 4, 6. He says, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resist the proud, but give grace unto the humble. Man, what a powerful statement. In this context of someone who has been enjoying sin, but not really, been playing with it, been adulterating themselves with it, God says he resists the proud, but to the humble, to the humble, he accepts and welcomes back. That's grace. That's grace. Remember, we're talking about an adulterer. We're talking about an adulteress. We're talking about someone who rejected the relationship with God to choose to go back to sin. And he says, I'll welcome you back. Please just come back. I'll welcome you back. I've forgiven that sin. I've forgiven all of it. Just come back. I want to enjoy a relationship with you. I came and died for you in your sin. I want to have that back. And see, God is so forgiving. He's so loving. It's just who he is. It's his very nature. And so he stands there with his arms open just saying, come back. Humble yourself and come back. Please just come back. And he leaves that choice on us. The decision is on every one of our hearts. Just as it is to sin, he does not tempt us to sin. He does not cause us to sin or make us to sin. That's our decision. And just as it is our decision to sin, God says, it's your decision to come back to me. Who is creating the enmity? Our sin is creating the enmity with God. We are creating the division. We're the one putting up the wall, creating the chasm, whatever illustration you want to use. We're the ones who are causing the issue. Our sin is separating us from God even though He's already restored it. Even though He's already made, us, made, made, it, made it back to new. Our sin just allows us, like an adulterer would, to go to this place and reject Him. Create that enmity. Why aren't the prayers being answered? Why isn't the joy there? Why do we not have peace? That's what he's getting at in verses 1 through 3. You pray and there's nothing. The heart, it struggles. It's, it's tumultuous. There's something missing. Saying, why is that? Because you're adulterating yourself. <laughs> because you're going to the harlots. You're going to the sin. And you're creating the enmity. And he doesn't say, so you better get right, you better fit. He just says, but I give grace. That's what he starts with. But I give grace. But I give grace. And you say, I need a lot of grace. That's how much grace he has. But I've done this and this and this. That's how much grace God has. I mean, it's the exact amount every time. But you don't understand how much grace I need. No, it's exactly the amount God has. God has all the grace 
that you need. He has it all. All you have to do is choose to go back to him. Friends, so what I'm calling for tonight, if this is where you are in your heart, and you're wondering, yeah, why isn't the peace there? Yeah, why aren't the prayer requests being answered? Yeah, why do I not feel close to God? Why is that relationship broken? Why do I feel like I'm not there with God like I once was or like I know he, that He should be? Maybe it's because if we would take a second to think about it, we would realize that there is sin in our hearts that is causing that enmity. And I'm not saying it's drunken stupors every Saturday night. Maybe that's not your sin. But maybe you've got that bitterness. Maybe you've got that pride. Maybe there's some envy or lust that is going on and that is causing your heart to divide itself against the one who loves you so much. And a simple answer to that is just repentance. Saying, God, I know that I've done wrong. Will you accept me? And of course, he's standing there, yes, 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 I will. Just, just say it, just say it, yes. God, I, I know that I've done, I know that. And you, we can go through the whole spiel. God's just sitting there waiting, just waiting just as much as he was before. Just as much as we needed him at salvation, God still loves us the same. His grace extends over all of our sin, past, presence, and sins to come. That's God's love to us. That's his grace. And that's the point here of James. Yes, he uses some strong language. And he comes out and says, ye adulterers, ye adulteresses. I mean, just, wow, what in the world? How dare you use those terms on me? I'm not that kind of person. And he says, but if you have sin in your heart, then you've created the enmity. You're cheating on him. And he's willing to accept you back. If you would, just humbly go before him. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, God, you know the hearts and, and life of every single person in here in a way that I cannot know and, and do not know. And perhaps, Father, you know the ones that that's perhaps just needed this challenge, perhaps just needed to be reminded of how much you love us. Because I know how it is, Lord, that when sin gets a hold on us, there's a fear of going back. A worry. And Father, perhaps tonight someone just needed to be reminded of your grace and all of the grace that you have. God, may you show us, show maybe the one, those, Lord, who needed your grace here tonight, how much you love them. Remind them here in their hearts. And perhaps, Father, you would restore in the way that you want so badly, so desperately, to once again have a close walk with every one of your children. With everyone. And Father, in that then, would you just grow that and use that? Would you strengthen our walk with you? Would we see then how powerful that love is? How strong it has to be? How forgiving it has to be? And Lord, just fall in love with you so much the more. More thankful. More appreciative of, Lord, how much you've done for us. May we live for you, Lord, here 
for the rest of our lives and with our life. It's in your son Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.